He says, no. He said, because the idol is nothing. But he said, if it's going to offend the conscience of another person, don't do it. Paul said, if eating meat was going to offend my brother and cause him to stumble and not be able to walk with Christ, he said, I wouldn't eat meat ever again. Okay? Well, that's what the early church was telling them. Let's walk in love and fellowship with one another. Okay? So that's what they were asking them to do. Now what you're going to see, starting in verse 36, now this is something that I love about the Scripture. This is one of those things that confirms to my heart that this is indeed the Word of God. You see, if I, Shane Phillips, were writing a book, and let's just say this was a fictitious book, a religious book that I was going to make up, and I was going to try to get people to adhere to it, I wouldn't put some of the details in the book that are in here. That is, I would try to smooth off the edges so that everybody would say, Woo, okay, I see where you come from. Oh, that's just sweet. That's wonderful. Uh, the Bible's jagged. The Bible's raw. The Bible simply tells it like it happened. And you're like, ouch, that's rough, you know, to hear this. Well, let's take a look at something. You remember how I told you that the Apostle Paul, kind of a firebrand of a personality? He really was. You see, as zealous as he was originally, whenever he was persecuting the church, now, having come to know Christ, he is that much more zealous for what he's doing. And whenever it comes to dealing with folk, uh, Paul can be pretty, pretty tough. Now, what has happened is a fellow by the name of John Mark. He is not an apostle. John Mark is the Mark that we know of whenever we think about the gospel of Mark. And it is someone that we believe, as it is recorded by some others in early church traditions, that John Mark was very, very close to the Apostle Peter. Most, well, let me say this, the vast majority of good Christian biblical scholars believe that the gospel of Mark is basically the gospel of Peter. Now, do not mistake what I just said. I didn't say that it should be called the Gospel of Peter. It's not. It is the Gospel of Mark. John Mark wrote it. But what they're saying is that Peter, being so close to John Mark, John basically got his information from Peter. And if you look, there's a lot of detail about Peter in the book, okay? So what ends up happening is they're all ministering together. They're doing stuff on missionary journeys. And John, at some point, the Bible does not explain to us. John Mark is what I mean. I'll just call him Mark from here on out. But at some point, Mark decided, no, he left what they were doing and started doing something else. Now, some people say, well, they could have had a heated dispute. They could have had this. They could have... We don't know. The Bible does not tell us what happened. It just says that Paul and Mark kind of split ways. Well, later on, thus what we're talking about today, I want you to see something raw but something very powerful. God bless the reading of his word. Starting in verse 36, check this out. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, okay, this is after they've got the letter and they've decided they're going to go back and check out the areas where they've been ministering beforehand. So then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Well, this is a logical thing. Think about it. I want to go back. Some people think it's been about five years. I'm not positive how long it is, but that's just what many scholars say. I'm not sure how they calculated that number, but let's just say there's been a few years. 
So what they're going to go back is back to Lystra and Derby. Now, if you remember in Lystra, they had lots of conversions. In Derby, they tried to worship them as gods, and then they stoned Paul, thought he was dead. But now they're going back to those very places where they began preaching the gospel to see how they're doing. So verse 37, it says, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. John Mark. He says when you do it, there's probably another reason for that, because if I'm not mistaken, they're cousins, Barnabas and John Mark. So they know each other pretty well. So Barnabas says, let's go get John Mark. You know, this is a good guy. You know, he's been with us before. Let's do this. Look at verse 38. But Paul insisted they, they should not take them with, don't know, follow how they phrase this here, that they should not take them, the one who had departed from them uh, in Pamphylia, and it says, and had gone with them, uh, had not gone with them in the work that they were doing, because that's what it says, he left them in their work. Okay. So what you have, now I want you to see this in the early church. Barnabas looks at Paul and says, you know, John Mark, he's a good man. He says, I think we should take him on this journey. Paul goes, no, there is no way, no, no. And did I say no, he's not going. That joker left us. What you are seeing, people, is something that happens today in churches. It is called a dispute or a heated discussion. So you want to go back and say, boy, if we lived in the time of the apostles, we would not have any problems, any discussions, any hardships, no nothing. No. Okay? They didn't always see eye to eye on things either. But also understand this, some of the difficulties between the brethren within the church also brought out the greatest distribution of people throughout the countryside in delivering the gospel. Not everything that we do, people. Not every little thing that we do. Like when you get up in the morning, God has not ordained from eternity what color socks you should wear. Would you like proof? If you think God in his infinite wisdom made me put on these socks this morning, I assure you he wanted me to pick another pair, okay, that would probably match what was going on. But the thing is this. God does allow us an element of free will to be able to make decisions. And what you're also seeing is a decision being made here, albeit from two different perspectives. One feels strongly one way, one feels strongly another, but both of them are going to share the gospel either way. Okay? But you're seeing this in the early church. So let's take a look at what happens here. So verse 39, it says, Then the contention became so sharp, is anybody catching this? Became so sharp that they parted for one another. Barnabas looked in. Now remember, Barnabas is a son of encouragement. He's a smooth talking fellow. He is as gentle and loving, as kind as Paul is wanting to drop the elbow from, you know, on the rails. He's a very gentle person, but it came to the point that they said, you know what? I think you need to go that way and I'm going to go this way just for peace in the valley. That's what it says. So anyway, they departed from one another, and it says, so Barnabas took John Mark, and he sailed to Cyprus, and it says, Paul chose Silas. Remember, these people are prophets as well. And they departed, being commended by the brethren in the grace of God. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. So even though they had a disagreement, the church still prayed for them, blessed them, and sent them on their way? Yeah. 
The church is looking at them like, I, I hate that y'all can't figure this out, but at the same time, you're both going to share Jesus. Here we go. Let's pray for you, and let's send you on the way. So verse 41, it says, They went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So they're still preaching. They're still ministering. Now we come to chapter 16. Chapter 16, we're going to see a man named Timothy, and we've got to cross some bridges with Timothy. Because some people, especially today, and it still happens, I don't understand why it happens, people really stagger at what happens with Timothy. Okay, so let's read it, and then we'll talk through it. God bless the reading of his word, and help me, Lord, to be faithful. It says, then he came to Derby and Lystra, okay, or Lystra. Uh, if you think about it, two places they had visited before. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a, a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. The idea in that was that his father's not Jewish and probably wasn't a believer, okay, at that time. But we got a problem. That little phrase in there that his mother was Jewish makes him Jewish. If yo mama, yes, I said it that way, if yo mama is a Jew, you're Jewish. That's the way it works, okay, in their mindset and in their history and the way they carry it today. So we've got a Jewish man named Timothy. His father's a Greek. Verse 2, it says, he was well spoken of, meaning Timothy, by the brethren who were at Lystra, and it says Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, hold on a minute. First things first, Paul's impressed with Timothy. Timothy, for some reason, he's got his act together, and, and, and I'll probably get an amen in this one. Obviously, he's been hanging out with his mom a lot because he knows a whole lot about Jesus. Can I get a witness? Amen. The guys are like, you wait until we catch you in the parking lot after church. Anyway, so Timothy is, is really touched the heart of Paul. He sees Christ Jesus in, in him in such a way that he says, I would really like for you to come with me. I want you to minister with me. But Timothy, we got a problem. And he's like, what's the problem? And he says, well, Timothy, we're going to be talking to a whole lot of Jews that know you. And he's like, okay, Paul, what do you mean? Well, Timothy, according to the covenant, the covenant of Moses, whether we're free from it or not, he says, Timothy, on the eighth day, you had to be circumcised or you're an apostate Jew. They will not talk to you. They're not going to have anything to do with you. They just as soon see you disappear like dust. They're not going to listen to a word you say because they believe that your father, they believe that your family has kept you from doing this. Now, remember, this is happening pre-Christ, okay? He was already not circumcised at that time, and so that was the view of him. So Paul looks at him, and he says, let's get you circumcised. Not a normal conversation you want to have with an adult, but nonetheless, it happened, okay? And they did it. But why? Paul will say in his letters, even in Galatians, the great charter of Christian liberty about our freedom in Christ and that not being under the law, but under the law of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus still. That is, his spirit lives in us, his word and his laws are written upon our hearts, not bound the letter, not bound to the letter, but in the freedom of the Holy Spirit that now lives in us and works in us. Paul will tell them, he will say, if you become circumcised, Christ avails nothing to you. 
You have fallen from grace if you try to be circumcised and you try to obey the law of Moses to make yourselves righteous in God's eyes. Now let me cut to a little side note here. First of all, that wasn't the way. You remember how we talked about it last week? If you were trusting in the law to make you righteous in God's eyes and get you into heaven, that wasn't going to work because Paul had taught us. He said it's always been by faith. Thus, Abraham believed God, trusted God, obeyed God. It was accounted to him as righteousness before the law was given. So, what is Paul saying? He's telling them this. If you circumcise yourself... And if you say you must obey the law of Moses, and that's the saying that Jesus Christ is not enough, he says, then yes, you've fallen from grace. You have totally missed what Jesus Christ has done. However, nothing says that you couldn't do something out of kindness and out of love and as a tool to be able to share your faith. Let me give you an example. If I went into a Jewish person's house today, which I have, and I sat down to a Seder meal with them to celebrate Passover, which I have. I didn't say I went to a Seder meal with Christians. I sat down in a Jewish house. I sat down with a Jewish family. I won't get too specific on the things because y'all look at me and say, is he really saved? Yes, I am. But anyway, so I sat down in this house and they begin reading from the Torah, from the law. They begin sharing these things about God and God's deliverance from Egypt. That is what they're supposed to do. They are commanded before God. Now, even though we don't have the temple in Jerusalem and people can no longer go and present themselves before the Lord, remember the everlasting commandment of God was for Passover as well as a couple of other feasts. Every Israelite male must, didn't say can, might, it says he must present himself before God because this would be a perpetual celebration forever. People will celebrate this. Now, we know in Christ Jesus that that Seder meal is now the Lord's Supper because during the Seder meal, Jesus said, this is a new covenant in my blood. He's now the lamb. But whenever I went to their house, do you think I sat there and corrected them on everything that they said? They'll look up and say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what this means anymore. Do you think I offended them that I pulled away from them? And I looked down at them and I said, well, according to the Old Testament, which, by the way, let me tell you what I just said, the Old Covenant, meaning that their law or their covenant or what they believe is passe. Do you think I did that? No, I didn't. Because the only thing that would have happened is I would have offended them on a very holy day. And I would have, in essence alienated them from from those people and i would have been cast out of the house what good was i to them but you know what i did i sat there with them and i loved them and in my heart recognizing every part of that feast that i was having celebrated jesus you know what i did as i waited to the end of the meal the children are usually given the opportunity to run to the door and open it to see if elijah is behind the door guess who got that privilege I did. There was no child at the table, and I said, can I open the door? And she looks at me like I have lost my mind. I said, for Elijah. She said, you know about that? I said, oh, yes, and I want to be the one. And she looked at me, and she said, yes, you can open the door at the end of the meal. And whenever I open that door, and of course, Elijah is not there, because according to the word of God, he's already come, and they did to, whatever, to him whatever they wanted. This spake he, Jesus speaking of John the Baptist. 
But whenever I sat back down, I looked there and I said, I know that you're not a Christian. And I understand that some of what I believe may very well offend you. I said, but I've sat and I've listened. I said, would it be so offensive to you if I just shared a little bit of what really beautiful and powerful that you did that meant something to me? She said, please. She said, you've been respectful of what, of what we believe. She said, please share with us. I said, it was just before Jesus Christ was crucified, whenever he was taken by the Romans and murdered. But Jesus sat down with his disciples. And I told her I was welcome. You know, if she wanted me to, I'd read it to her. I said, he sat down with them. He said, I have so longed to have this feast with you. And he said, I'll no longer eat of this feast again until I'll eat it anew in the kingdom of God. With you, he said, in the kingdom of God. But I said, in the middle of the meal where she sat there with me, and she picked up that bread, that unleavened bread, and she looked at her husband, and her husband's there with him. He takes the bread as well. She takes it, and she snaps that bread in two. I had tears in my eyes. And the reason why I had tears in my eyes is Jesus, when he took that bread and he broke it in his hands, I said, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat every bit of it. And then a little while later, I said, do you remember whenever you raised up that cup, the cup of redemption, when you raised it up and you celebrated God's salvation? I said, Jesus Christ himself picked up that cup and he said, now I inaugurate a new covenant in my blood that will be for the forgiveness of sins. Take this and drink it, every one of you. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so you take it and we drink it. Do you know we had a good discussion after that? Not an offensive discussion. But you know, even though within me while the meal was going on, I wanted to jump up and say, ooh, I see Jesus here. Ooh, I see Jesus there. And we're all excited. Whenever they did the plagues, I was having a good time. As a matter of fact, they had little, they always have toys for the kids. So they had little frogs and things to symbolize the plagues of Egypt. Guess who got the frogs? I did. I'm weird like that, but it's okay. It's a good kind of weird. But what I'm saying is I didn't have to jump up and look at him and say, no, Christ is the fulfillment of this. How dare I? Just because they have not come to Christ at that moment doesn't mean that they wouldn't. And why wouldn't I provide them an avenue to hear? Why would I not hear what they had to say so that they might hear what I had to say? Because contrary to popular belief, Okay, this is not two separate faiths. Just walk with me here before we lose something. Everybody's going to say, well, hold on, Christ is. Just listen to me. The law, the Old Testament, Christ is the fulfillment of this. We are sisters. This is now. Once you take this and you turn it to Jesus Christ, you now become the faith. In other words, let me say this. Zola Levitt, you may know him. He was on television for years and years and years. Zola loved that guy. Love him. He'd teach you more about Jesus in five minutes than you learned in seminary for three years. But anyway, Zola was there one time, and they asked him before he was being introduced, the rabbi. So the rabbi comes up there, and they look at him and say, Mr. Levitt, uh, do we call you Rabbi Levitt? Do we call you perfected Jew? Do we call you uh, messianic Jew? What do we call you? He said, in the Bible, they called us Christians. Did you catch that? What he was saying is we are now a new creation. It's not that God has abandoned one. It's that God has created a new person from the two, and we come together. So anyway, moving on. 
I guess I, I didn't have to believe that. So what he does is he has Timothy do this for the same reason that they issued the letter for the uh, disciples to abstain from certain things so that they might have fellowship. He is creating an avenue to where now when Timothy walks in, the Jews will speak to him and say he's not a threat. One of the first things that Paul does when they bring him in and they say, this man is a deceiver. This man teaches things that are strange. This man is against the law and he profanes Moses. The first thing he does, he says, men and brethren, hold on a minute. He says, I don't profane Moses. As a matter of fact, Abraham is my father. Moses is the great lawgiver. He says, I was zealous. He said, a Pharisee of Pharisees, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. If you're looking for a pedigree, I got it. I'm a Jew of Jews. He said, but that doesn't mean anything because every last one of these patriarchs, as well as the Torah, the Nevi'im, or the law, or the Ketubim, the, uh, the writings, they all testify to one person, Jesus Christ. So it ultimately comes down to this. So he has him circumcised. Verse 4, and it says, As we went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders to Jerusalem. So they've got this letter. They, they keep, or even if they just delivered the letter, they're going through the region proclaiming to the people that the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised or accept the law of Moses to be saved. Their faith in Jesus Christ alone, they're good to go. Okay, so they're sharing this. So verse 5, it says, So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. Now, a couple of, man, time flies when you're having fun. Does anybody want to stay for about three or four more hours? Uh, okay, just give me a second. Okay, let me tell you about the Macedonian call. There's a couple of things that happen in here. It says in verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone through uh, Phrygia, and it says they had gone through the region of Galatia, it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Just keep that in your mind. And verse 7, it says, And when they had come... Uh, where were we? I'm trying to find... Okay. And after they had come to Mysia, it says they tried to go Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. There's two places they have desired to go to to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit said no. People ask, well, what happened? We don't know. The Bible didn't tell us. The only thing it says is the Holy Spirit forbade them. Now, I will tell you at various times in the book of Acts, you will see people that are prophets, or you will see as they prayed, the Holy Spirit will speak to them and tell them not to do something. It could have been also resistance that they received, or whenever they went to do it, they just couldn't find passage. Whatever it was, they understood in their hearts the Spirit to be telling them, no, you're not going to this place, not now. And you say, well, why wouldn't that happen? People, there's probably, I don't want to say infinite because that's the wrong way to say it, but let's just say there's a ton of reasons why they probably should not have gone there. The important thing is that the Holy Spirit said not at this time. Could have been that they were going to go there and they could have been killed. And God knows that. Couldn't God have a, you die the death of a thousand what ifs. The point is, this is what God did. Okay? And what he thought best. So anyway, so they pass up, they go to Troas. But verse 9, it says, Paul has this vision. It says, a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and it says, a man of Macedonia stood, and he was pleading with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So now, being forbidden, he has a vision where God says, no, this is where you're supposed to go. You need to head over to Macedonia. So he says, okay, let's go to Macedonia. 
Now, after he'd seen the vision, it says, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11, it says, therefore, selling from Troas, we ran straight through uh, to Smothrace, or some, Smothrace, yes, I can't speak it. Okay, and the next day came to Neapolis, and it says, and from there to Philippi, which is in the former city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, uh, and we were staying in their city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, it says they went out of the city to the rev- riverside where the prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to some, some of the women that were there. Now, that seems like a very, very simple verse. It says they went on the Sabbath day, they go to a river where people pray, and they sat down with some women. Sounds really good, right? There's a lot more behind the scene. Here's the deal. Any place where you have 10 Jewish men, Yes, it was a male-dominated society. Just work with me, okay? Not trying to get into all that, but just work with me. If you had 10 men, you had synagogue. You had less than that, you didn't. And it didn't matter how many other people were there. You better have 10 Jewish folks to make a synagogue. So what that indicates to us is there probably was not a synagogue in the area, and the people that got together on the Sabbath were gathering together to worship together by a river. All right. Verse 14, it says, Now a certain woman named Lydia, many of you have heard about her, she is the seller of purple, which was a very, very expensive uh, color to make. A lot of times they would use uh, sea creatures and things like that. But So if you sold purple, it was a very expensive commodity. So it says she goes to Lydia, she listens to us, she was a seller of purple, she was from the uh, city of... Thyatira, Thyatira, uh, who worshiped God, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Okay, so this is a good, I guess, stopping point here. Lydia is not she's appearing here for a reason we're finding out about a convert a first convert in this area of macedonia at least the first one that we know about and she's following the lord she's loving the lord she's being faithful she's trying to show uh, hospitality and kindness to them and yes they're going to remain with her what you're going to find out in a little while is whenever paul and silas are in prison when they get out of there guess whose house they go to Lydia. So she's going to show up again. So there's a reason why there's an introduction. So what we're going to see is here before too long, you're going to see a demon-possessed girl who's going to say some very, very strange things that seem like they're praising Paul and Silas, but in actuality, they are not. All right. I'll invite our musicians to the front just in case somebody needs special prayer tonight. I know tonight's been more of teaching, but that doesn't mean that the Spirit of God isn't moving, and that does not mean that there aren't some people here tonight that may have a specific need and may need special prayer. So we will at least open the altars for just a moment, and then after that, choir practice. So tonight, if God is dealing with you in some way and you would like special prayer, we certainly want to pray with you. If you'd like to be anointed as well and have the elders come and pray over you, we are happy to do that as well. The important thing is respond to God if indeed he is speaking to you. So if everyone would please stand. Jesus, just to take him at his 
tonight that you've learned something, maybe just a little something, and even if you didn't know it, I hope, or did know it, I hope that in some way it was refreshed in your hearts and minds as you see the church as it is growing and being blessed by God. May God watch over you. May he keep you. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Love somebody before.